we're saying is if 10 to 13% of your income has to go toward food, make sure it's not 14, 15, 17, or 20%, because if it is, those percentage points are going to come from somewhere else. Welcome to Getting Money Right with your two favorite hosts, David Thompson and... Leo Sabo. And today we're going to be talking about the different categories inside of your budget. And we are doing a series. Uh, last episode, we went through housing and all the various subcategories in housing, ways to save money, things you need to be aware of. And today we're going to dig a little bit into the food category, the transportation category, and see how far we can get potentially adding in the debt category. So first and foremost, I just want to kick it off with food. Uh, food is one of those things that, well, we all need, right, Leo? No, Absolutely. <laughs> And uh, there are typically just two different categories for food. There's the type of food that you buy and prepare at home, and then there's the type that you buy that somebody else prepares. So we've kind of broken those out into groceries and restaurants, eating out. And when we say restaurants, we really mean anything that you don't prepare. So even if it's going through the McDonald's drive through or whatever, uh, pick up a pizza or have one delivered, that's considered eating out. And the reason we do that is because it, there's a significantly higher cost to eating out than there is to preparing your own food. Yeah, it's typically two to four times more expensive to eat out or have anything that's pre-prepared for you. Uh, now, if you go out to a restaurant, it can be upwards of 10 times as expensive as buying the baseline ingredients and preparing it yourself. And I'm thinking specifically of pasta dishes or rice and beans and chicken, making yourself a burrito or tacos uh, or pasta with some sausage on it. Uh, it can literally be you know, $2 per person to eat it, to make it at home. Uh, and you can have almost leftovers for two or three days versus going to a restaurant and paying 10 times as much, $20, $25 a person. And so we need to be extremely aware uh, of how much we're eating out and how much we're preparing at home and the mental margin that you need to have energy when you get home so you can prepare food at home because the savings is staggering and most people just don't pay attention to this area. Yeah, a typical family can spend anywhere from nine to twelve to fifteen thousand dollars on food, depending on how large the family is. Of course, I'm referring to a yearly cost. So when you consider that, that's just a grocery bill. That's a lot of money. But imagine that two, three times that because you're eating out two, three times a week or even two, three times a day for some folks. And it can really, really be expensive. So the average percent of net income that food occupies is somewhere between ten and thirteen percent. So 10 to 13% of your net income goes toward food. And that, of course, includes both groceries and eating out. And I'd like for us to just break it down a little bit and talk about each one of these separate and talk about some opportunities that you might be able to shave some of these. And, and again, it's good to have both. I think it's important to have both. If you're married, I would highly recommend that you take your wife out to dinner from time to time. It's something that is a, a you know something my wife certainly enjoys and something we're not going to do without. But there's, of course, um, a budget in place, so you, you have to set limits. And so we want to talk about how do you still enjoy this benefit of going out to eat and enjoying the social part of that, while at the same time keeping yourself from going overboard. So when it comes to groceries, there's a high variation in cost, whether you're buying organic food or specialty uh, type of meats or foods. Uh, that that can be very expensive. So you have to kind of look at that and say, what are my, my desires for these kind of things and how can I find that balance? And it's different for everybody. And we're not trying to dictate what that is, but depending on what your percentage of income is, let's say your percentage of income for 
uh, for food is 13%. Let's say that's $800 a month and you have a family of four. You have to somehow figure out how you're going to feed eight people. I'm mm-hmm. uh, sorry, four people for $800 uh, during that month. So you may not be able to have steak every night, but you certainly can have steak from time to time. So it, again, it's 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 looking at what can I do with $800 and then beginning to go through that process. Yeah, my favorite tool for this is on your website, Leo, and it's the resource. It's the creating a budget tool and you download it and it has the spending guidelines for each of these subcategories. So uh, breaking that down, let's say that you earn around $50,000 a year. That's the median household income. And if your 50,000 was actually your net take home pay, I think 15% was the guideline for a married couple. Well, that's $600 a month. So you've got a family of four. It could be $800 a month. You've got a family of two. It could be $600 a month. For Ashley and I, we spend, I think that we've budgeted for uh, many years at around $400 a month for just the two of us. But typically we tend to inch over that to $425, $450. And then some months we're well under. But it's very doable. Now, I know some of you are laughing as you hear me say this because you're thinking, how could I ever live on less than $1,000 a month? And then some people are listening and they're saying, you know, how could you possibly spend $400 on just two people? I know there's a wide variance in the audience. Sure there is. Uh, so I want to congratulate you if you're spending much less than Ashley and I. That's awesome. Well done. You yeah. know, keep going. Uh, but I also don't want to shame you if you're spending more than us. I want you to realize this is a unique category to each person. But... The categories do have recommended percentages that keep you in healthy financial conditions. And so that's what we're asking you to look at is go download that tool and look at the guidelines because then you'll know what's a healthy amount to spend on food. You know, if you start to earn $100,000 a year or $200,000 a year and you're still spending 15% of your income on food, well, then you've it just... It might be a problem. <laughs> it might be a, a problem. Yeah, it's a lot of money and you're probably not healthy at that point, not just financially, uh, but physically. You know, financially, it might not even hurt you, but physically... You you are, you're killing yourself with food. And so you have to be aware that this happens. Leo, you know, what does it look like when people go out to eat? What are the different options and kind of levels of eating out? What do you see there? Yeah, I mean, just using a personal example, if you go to a takeout, a fast food type of restaurant and just drive through and pick up some food for the evening, which all of us do from time to time because of time pressures and those kind of things, it's somewhere between 15 and $25. That's for two, maybe three people. Um, if you have a larger family, it could be $30, $35. Uh, if you do a sit-down basic for a couple, somewhere between 30 and 35 if you figure in a small tip. And, uh, and then a sit-down fancy restaurant could be anywhere from 50 to 100 or more. So you can see how that eating out category can just go really high depending on your, your preference and what, where you like to eat. What we recommend is really is to look at that specific area is just to, to use cash. There's nothing like having cash that will keep you honest to what you're actually taking and spending. Yeah, when you grab that last dollar, it's gone. Like when you, you've got it in an envelope or you've got it in your wallet, when you run out of the cash that's set aside for eating out, you know, you stop eating out. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, it's it's based on your your overall income. How do you best use that? to accomplish everything you're trying to accomplish. So it's not just feeding your family, but it's also taking care of your cars and buying food and paying bills and making sure that your home payment is made on time. And all those things are part of it. And what we're saying is if 10 to 13% of your income has to go toward food, make sure it's not 14, 15, 17, or 20%, because if it is, those percentage points are going to come from somewhere else. So what are you potentially robbing from another area in order to make this one thing happen? Now, If you choose to spend less in another area because you want to make eating out 
more of a, you know, it's more social for you and it's kind of fits your lifestyle, there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely fine. But understand that it's okay because the guideline doesn't say you as a family of four need to spend exactly $800 a month. It just says this is a suggestion in order to stay healthy. So if you end up spending $1,000, that's fine. Just know that that $200 is going to have to be reduced from another area of your budget. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, I've got uh, many different friends from many different cultures. And so uh, I was spending time in Romania actually with you, Leo. And in Romania, I mean, eating is kind of just the daily ritual all throughout the day. You know, I remember we had soup and then we had bread and then we had special vegetables and then we had a giant slab of meat. And, I mean, it was just, it was yeah, one they, thing after another. <laughs> they don't have anything less than a four course meal at any given time. Yeah. And, and it was amazing and it was wonderful, but, but they're going to adjust their budget for that. Uh, they, they would actually purposely tell me, oh yeah, we spend less on our transportation. We purposely spend less on our housing because we know, we know this is the place where we're going to spend our dollars. We're going to invite friends over to eat. And that's great. Uh, that's not a problem. As long as you're aware that extra $200 in food has to come from another category. My wife and I, when we go out to eat, uh, we love to split a meal here in the United States. The meal portions are huge at restaurants and honestly, it's unhealthy physically to eat all the food they give you. So if you can share a meal, uh, it's such a huge benefit, mm -hmm. um, to find someone in your life that loves the same food you do. <laughs> That's the challenge though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is the challenge. Um, and then again, use cash and, and then I know it sounds silly, but, but look through the paper for the promotions and the coupons. I mean, I, I do this once a week and I just look for any new restaurants that are opening, uh, any Groupons that might be out there, something that might allow us to go somewhere that we know we're already going to eat. Or yeah. somewhere you may not want to go because it's usually expensive. Yes. And this would bring it to a level where you actually can go and not overspend. Yes, I love that. That's exactly it. And so look for those promotions and coupons. Uh, it's a great way. Honestly, you can usually find 25% off or 50% off uh, if you start searching in advance and look for that. So that's on the eating outside, things to be aware of and be cautious of. Now, Leo, when we're looking at groceries, what are some of the things that you look at when you're pur purchasing groceries? I think the, the thing to keep in mind is that it costs about 200 to $225 to feed a person you know, with groceries uh, per month. So if you have a family of four, you're looking somewhere on 800 to $900. And the thing that I think is important is to realize that when you go into a grocery store, there are a million options of food and every brand has 90 different choices, it seems. So there's certainly an opportunity there to overspend or just go crazy. So what my wife and I actually started doing when we got on a budget is to go into the store with a list. We mm. actually made a list at home and said, okay, here's what we're going to buy because we're going to make these meals. And that didn't mean that Monday was going to be pasta night and Tuesday was going to be burritos. You can make them on different nights, but it told us how much meat we needed to buy, how much fruit, all those things. So it just makes you more aware of what you're actually spending as you as you go to the store. You have a list, you're kind of going off the list, and you're less tempted to grab stuff off the shelf like the sweet, the, the processed food section where there's all the cookies and all that stuff that you try to avoid altogether. But understand that as you as you do that, you'll be more prepared to stick to a plan and hopefully eat healthier. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you guys would literally do meal planning in advance of even writing your list, you know, to have a list of, okay, we're going to have this many meals this week, you know, we'll be out on this night, so we might eat out this night, but then, then we're going to go home and we're going to eat at home on Monday, Tuesday, 
Thursday and Friday. And so you'd say, we've got four meals, therefore we're going to need four, you know, meat dishes, four breads, four vegetables, you know, whatever it is. And and if you have that plan in place, it dramatically changes uh, your decisions in the store. And if you will create a plan to have eaten before you go to the store, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Do not go shopping when you're hungry or when you have a bunch of kids with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'd be really hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The kids are going to slow you down. And as they slow you down, it's going to cause you to look more and more at various products. And it's going to cause you to stay in the store longer and buy more and they're going to fill your cart. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're going to be asking for 90 different things, and uh, you're going to be saying no a lot and getting frustrated. So really think about the cost versus value. Uh, we know that there are people who have food allergies, and they have to be gluten-free and different things. So so there is a obviously a, a flexibility in that, and you have to do what's best for you and your family. But what we're trying to do is to just give you a heads up and help you to, to rein in some of these expenses that can really, at least for us Americans, tend to be just a little bit out there. And uh, a little bit of planning, a little bit of forethought can really get you to a place where you can have the value of being able to go out to eat, have the food that you need, eat healthier, and just keep your budget in shape, not allow yeah. it to get completely out of, out of whack. Yeah. And so just a few tips for folks that are really tight on the finances right now, and you're looking for ways to save on groceries. Uh, one, this was helpful for me, not just on finances, but just the, the sheer... The overwhelming moment of walking into a giant grocery store with tons of options. I do love to go to, you know, Walmart and Target and Tom Thumb and Kroger, and they're great, uh, but there's so many options. And my brain, I might be unique in this, but when I see all those options, I have to slow down and look at each one and figure out cost per ounce. I'm very nerdy like that. And, you know, which one of these is the best choice for me? And, you know, what's the sodium? And it's, it's overwhelming and it's silly. Uh, there's a store that I go to now, not all the time, but from time to time called Aldi's and Aldi's only sells the off brands. And so when I go to the store, uh, they only have one or two options of everything instead of five or six options, because it's literally, do you want salt added or no salt? And either way, it's the off brand. And just not having a hundred choices makes it easier for me to go through the store, feel happy with my purchases. And literally it's about half the cost because they're all off brands. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm not necessarily endorsing Aldi's per se, but look for places in your neighborhood that are like that. Uh, I think any one of these places is great. I, I really enjoyed that shopping experience, but I'm also a little bit different than the average person. I didn't mind the fact that they charge you uh, 25 cents to rent a cart and then you put the cart back to get your 25 cents back at the end because they don't want to have to pay cart pushers yep. to, you know, to take your cart back for you. You take it back yourself so you can get your quarterback. It's it's a totally unique place. I think that um, that it's not for everybody. But if you're in a tight pinch, look for these warehouses and these places that sell you know, off brands only. Another thing to look at is uh, that you can buy huge quantities of food very inexpensively uh, if you'll prepare it yourself. And, uh, and I'm thinking like you can buy a 20 pound bag of rice for like $8. Uh, you can buy an eight pound bag of beans for $8 and you could buy eggs. Uh, think 18 eggs or two dozen eggs for $2. And you can live on rice, beans, the protein from eggs, a little bit of peanut butter, a little bit of bread. You can have a lot of meals very inexpensively. Now, I'm not saying the average person should do this, but I'm saying if you're really struggling financially, things are extremely tight, 
you know, go back to these basic essential things, walk around the outside of the store, don't go through the middle process section, like Leo Mm -hmm. said, be looking at these really simple things and preparing your own food and it will save you tons of money. You really can live uh, on much less than the average American spends in these categories, but it requires a little bit of sacrifice. And, you know, not everybody's at the place where they need to sacrifice. Right. But if you are at the place where you need to sacrifice some, look at some of these tips. That's great. Let's move on to the next main category, which is transportation. And the average uh, percent of net income that's spent in transportation is between 10 and 13%, really just like it is for, for food. And uh, in that category, there are several subcategories. So let me go over them real quickly. The first one is car payments. So if you have a car payment, that would fit into this category. Uh, gas for the for your vehicles, insurance, tax and inspection or taxes that you may have uh, yearly um, for being able to drive in your state, and then maintenance and repair costs. David, do you want to start covering some of these? Yeah, well... I- I think it's really interesting, um, and and I'll start just on tags and inspection because this is something that's required by almost every state. Uh, here in Texas, it's about a hundred to a hundred and twenty dollars per vehicle. Uh, it used to be, I mean, I think when I started, it was sixty dollars, and then you know over five years it went to seventy dollars, and a decade later it was eighty dollars, and now it's almost a hundred and some plus. So realize that that's a here in Texas, it's an annual renewal fee, uh, but in other states it can be upwards of four hundred dollars a month. Uh, you and know, in some states it's cheaper. Yes, so it really depends yeah, some on states it's cheaper. So just be aware that there's a cost that you might not even be thinking of. You know, you've got to plan for that inspection and plan for the state licensing fees. Uh, Another thing that I think that we often forget, and I'm starting with the forgotten categories first, (laughs) because there's a few real no-brainers that are about to come up, but uh, it's funny, but it's maintenance and repairs. And it's so simple and and it's so obvious, and yet we don't think about it until it happens. And so, uh, you know, most of us will not take the time, and this is sad, but it's just true. Uh, We're not going to take the time to look at the instruction manual for our vehicle. And so we're shocking. not planning. It's, I know. it's, it's crazy. Don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's your biggest, it's one of your biggest purchases uh, in any five year period. It's probably your biggest purchase. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're spending thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on this vehicle potentially. And you're not even going to look at the manual on how to operate it so that it lasts the full 10, 11, 12, 14 years of its lifespan. And now you've got a vehicle that's getting real issues after two or three years. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And again, I think a lot of times it's because people don't plan, just as you said. And it doesn't really require that much money. When you consider that the repairs and maintenance costs, especially for a car that's a newer vehicle, you don't really need to set that much money aside. I would say probably $150 for newer cars. I'm talking about at least two vehicles in the household there. Usually there are at least two. And when you consider that you're going to change the oil every three to 5,000 miles, you may have to change an air filter, fuel filter, cabin filter every year. Uh, coolant flush, transmission, fluid change, even a tire replacement every forty to 50,000 yeah, miles. Yeah. And, you know, we drive somewhere between ten and 15,000 miles these days. So every three to four years, you're going to change those tires. And depending on what kind of vehicle you have, it, it could be pretty expensive. Um, for my, my wife and I have sedans, you know, just two and four-door sedans. And I know I've not bought a set of tires less than $400, $500 in the last few yeah. years. So you know, that comes as a surprise to most people because they're just not setting money aside for it. So that's why we include it as a subcategory, because not only do you need to change the oil every two to three months or so, but also you need to replace some of these other items and be prepared for some of those bigger things like tire replacement, brakes to be done, 
I don't know anybody that's going to charge you less than $450 for two-year breaks. Yeah. So that's a considerable cost for people who either don't have it in their savings or just don't have it set aside. And honestly, even if you have it in your savings, that's not what savings is for. This is what the budget is for, folks, yeah. is to have this category in your budget so you're setting money aside. And you may be doing it for a year or two until it's time to replace those tires. But how great will it be when you have five, six hundred, seven hundred dollars $700, $700 set aside to go replace the tires on your car? Yeah, I know your wife will appreciate when she's sliding all over the place and she needs new tires. So it's important to have this built into your transportation category. Yeah. And it's not an emergency fund issue. It's a budgeting issue. I love that you said that because this is something that you need to put into Ashley and I do it into a cash envelope. And every month we take cash out at the beginning of the month and we put a certain amount into our car maintenance category or envelope. And I, and I do it every single month, you know, today I, I literally take the cash out and put it in, but when Ashley or I need to go get our oil changed or we need to go get our tires replaced, uh, we just take cash out of the envelope. And it's very simple. There's no stress. There's no worry. Yep. Uh, Ashley doesn't feel bad that she spent $400 on tires. I don't feel bad that I spent $400 on tires or new brakes or an alignment because it's in the plan. We planned for this together. Uh, so, Leo, let's just look at a breakdown kind of of overall. Uh, you know, we tend to think about, oh, well, the car is only the car payment. Mm. But what are some of the other things that go into the costs of a vehicle? Uh, let's talk about somebody who's maybe got a $65,000 net income. Mm -hmm. Their transportation spending guideline percentage is 12% annually. What does that break down to? Assuming somebody's $65,000 a year paying 12% towards their vehicle, which would be the guideline. What does that look like? So that, that in dollar amount would be $7,800 a year. Mm. So that's what it would cost for transportation all for the whole year, $7,800. And that would be 650 a month. So you would have to set aside just in the transportation area, $650. Now we talked about insurance. I'm sorry, we didn't talk about insurance. We're going to talk about insurance and gas, but we touched on tags and inspection and maintenance and repairs. Let me give you an idea of what that 650 will do for you. If your gas is 120 a month, which is Pretty low, in my opinion. Many, many here homes, in Texas, it's low because everything is. Yeah, far I'm apart. sure in <laughs> other parts of the country, they're spending double that easily. Uh, insurance at 125, maintenance and repairs at 150, and tags 16 dollars a month. You're looking at 411 dollars between those four expenses. That only leaves you 239 dollars for a car payment. Now, the average car payment today is close to 500 dollars, and. Um, so you can see how difficult it is for somebody making at 80, 85,000 gross, you know, yearly income um, to have a car payment of yes. more than two, three hundred dollars. That's why for most people, a car payment is not a good idea, uh, certainly not for a brand new car. Oh, yeah. So when you begin to do the math and realize that to have a car payment, maybe two, that percentage of your net income for transportation is going to be closer to 20 percent. Yeah. And now you're taking an extra seven to 10 percent that you're setting aside in transportation that you're robbing from somewhere else. So really, that it just makes a case for how important it is to really look at every expense in transportation rather than just to think, I can afford a three, $400 car payment. You might be shortchanging other areas of your budget by buying a brand new car or even a used car with that kind of a payment when you're really in your budget 
you really can't do it. Yeah. And I love to sit down and look at that, that number that you got to that $650 a month, because that's, that's for potentially two vehicles. If you're a two vehicle household and a lot of people will start and they'll think, Oh, okay, well, you know, I bought my new vehicle or even just two or three years old, but I bought it with car payments and I do owe three, four, $500 a month. And that means that half of their budget has gone towards one car payment at 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say they get one more car payment at $200. That's $500 going to car payments. That leaves only $200 left for, or no, $150 left for, yeah, everything, for else. everything else. And when you add in the repairs and the maintenance and the insurance, I mean, the insurance, it's, it's such a no brainer, but we don't think about it. And then adding gas every month and then people complain about the price of gas and it doesn't have anything to do with the price of gas. They just way overbought on their vehicle. Uh, I, I haven't complained about gas in probably 10 years I mean, because yeah, it doesn't affect my life at all. The, the price of gas could double, but I've created so much margin in my finances just on the monthly budget for my transportation. Yeah, I wouldn't want gas to, to no, double. I, like that. I might complain <laughs> a little bit, but but honestly, when it was, I think it was almost double what it is now a couple of years ago. Yeah. It, it didn't even phase me because it was just part of the budget. And so so these are the things. It's not gas's fault. It's not the insurance company's fault. Yeah, it's not the, the car repair business's fault. They're not trying to rip you off. Uh, this is just part of life. You've got to have a plan in place. And if that means you've got to drive a car that's a little bit lower than what you were hoping to right away, that's okay. Yeah. yeah, it's be content, be grateful for the fact that you have a vehicle, be grateful for the fact that you have transportation to and from work, job, friends, church, wherever you're going on a daily basis. And it is an A to B, right? I mean, sure, it's it's the the ride into work in a BMW is better than one in a Honda Civic, but ultimately it takes you there. So whatever you can afford and whatever you can do, um, you should shoot for that. Now that doesn't mean someday you can't have. Uh, a nicer car. Of course, you should. I think it's it's uh, it's a good thing to try to to go for more. Uh, just don't do it by borrowing and get into a situation where you're not able to manage it, or even sacrificing some of the more important things in life, like setting money aside for your uh, retirement, your kids' college education, savings. Those things that that if you don't do, there's consequences that are going to be really difficult to get through. Yeah, let's look at the the gas subcategory here. Um, I don't think that you have to do this, but I think it's nice to do it at least for a while to really understand how much you're spending on gas, just so you know. Uh, it's great to calculate your miles per gallon on each car trip, each fill up. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll set my um, my little tracker to, I'll reset it down to zero every time I fill up so I can see on my trip counter and I can see how many miles did I drive on this tank of gas. And so uh, I think on one of my last tanks of gas, I got, you know, 411 miles. Well, then I'll divide that by the amount of gallons that I purchase at the machine. And it'll tell me, okay, I got 20 something miles to the gallon this time around. I got 25 miles to the gallon. And it's good to just have a general knowledge of how much you're spending in gas. If you know, that you're going to drive, I think the average is around 15,000 miles a year. Uh, It's good if you drive 12,000 miles a year in your vehicle. But if you do 12,000 miles, uh, well, if you divide that per month, that means you have 1,000 miles a month that you're driving. If you know you get 20 miles per gallon and you're going to drive 1,000 miles, that means you have to buy 50 gallons of gas. Well, now you multiply that 50 gallons of gas times the price of gas. Maybe it's $2.25 recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that's $112 per month that you're spending on gas. So I know that was kind of a little bit of complex, you know, here in a verbal format, but 
driving a thousand miles a year or twelve thousand a year, one thousand per month. Getting twenty miles per gallon means that you're buying fifty gallons of gas. Fifty gallons of gas times the price of gas to twenty-five is one hundred and twelve dollars a month. Just be aware that's what yep. you're spending. Yeah, and that's a good way to come up with a good number because the challenge with the budget is if you put the wrong number in, then it's frustrating because it's not working according to plan. So get a more accurate number in the subcategory of whether it's gas or whatever category you're looking at, because then you're going to be shooting right for the right target. And you're going to be close or you're going to be right under or right over and it'll be easy to manage. So that's a great example, David. And really, if you if you want even a simpler one, if that calculation just makes you, you know, head spin, <laughs> just consider how much does it cost you to fill up every time? If you're the kind of person that you know, lets that needle go down to empty and maybe even a, a little bit below. When you gas up, how many gallons do you put in? What does it cost you? Is it 35 Is it $40? Is it $50? And if it is, how often do you gas up? Is it once a week? Is it once every 10 days? And then you figure out, okay, if I'm gassing up once a week and I'm putting 40 bucks in, that's $160 a month. So again, just do a little bit of mental math. If you want to get a lot closer, do the example that David suggested, and you will have a much more accurate number in this area of the of your budget. Another area of the budget is insurance. And this is something that in most states, I believe uh, it's required. So it's something we can't get away from, something we need to have, especially if our car is a better vehicle. We definitely want it insured. We want to make sure that we are able to uh, replace it if there's an accident or something happens. So what we recommend is getting adequate insurance from a reputable insurance company. But don't overspend on insurance. Newer or financed cars require full coverage, and the average per month is going to be somewhere on $70 or more. So just consider that. If you buy a newer car, you're going to have to get full coverage. If you have payments on it, the bank is going to expect you yes. to have that. So you cannot get away from it. Uh, older vehicles, you can go with liability insurance, uh, especially if you're a good driver, if you haven't gotten to an accident in a long time. Get liability insurance with uh, uh, insurance that's going to cover uh, the other driver, and if you happen to get into an accident or get hit by someone who doesn't have insurance, you can have uninsured motorist on your policy, and that will take care of your insurance company being able to repair your own vehicle because you're insured that way. And then also consider having a higher deductible. This is one way that you can really have more inexpensive insurance but good insurance, and uh, just make sure that you have enough in emergency fund should you get into a wreck and wreck your car. You won't be able to get covered if it's your fault, so you're going to have to have some money set aside so you can buy another vehicle. But again, it's all cost versus value. If you're paying too much for insurance and the car isn't worth it, um, just do the math and figure out what's a reasonable amount to uh, spend in this area because it is something that you need to do, but there's a lot of variation in that expense. And then also carefully shop for uh, add-ons to your policy. A lot of policies today offer towing and gap insurance and vanishing deductibles. And so be aware, there's a cost to all of these. None of these are free. <laughs> insurance companies don't give anything for free. Um, so make sure that you're not double insured. If you have like a AAA um, membership, membership yeah. yeah, make sure that you're not paying for that and towing on your insurance uh, policy. So just consider those things so that you can keep your insurance adequate. Make sure that you're properly covered, but at the same time that you're not overpaying. 
Yeah, I think it's important to look at your limit of liability coverage as well, uh, depending on where you're at financially. It's good to know your net worth and how you're doing as an overall financial picture. As you begin to accumulate some wealth, you're going to want to increase that liability insurance or you're going to want to have an umbrella policy Mm -hmm. that covers everything. It's an umbrella that covers housing and transportation and covers you from any liability, something where you have potentially harmed someone or harmed someone's property. Mm -hmm. and it removes the liability from you. Uh, So Ashley and I, we carry 100, 300, which means it's got 100,000 of liability protection for bodily injury of each person in an accident up to $300,000 per accident. So $100,000 per person, up to $300,000 per accident. That means that if we get into an accident and it's our fault, we're liable for the pain and suffering and damages we've caused someone, that the insurance company will cover our liability up to a total of $300,000 potentially, but at least 100,000 per person. Now, um, you know, if you have no assets and and things are really tight, often I think state minimums run somewhere between 2040 or 3060 or sometimes 5100 depending on what state you're in. Um, for Ashley and I, we want to have a little bit more liability so we would be able to cover things if it went over those basics. Uh, but if you're in a really tight financial position and you don't have very much assets, then having lower liability is okay. You don't have to have the 100, 300. I think you can get 250, 500 if you have more assets. So the liability is going to be dependent on how much risk is involved in you potentially causing an accident to someone else and being liable for those damages. That's good. Well, I think uh, I think that's a that's a wrap. Uh, we're going to cover some other areas in our next podcast, and uh, we're grateful for you joining us. Thank you for joining us for this episode. And if you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes so that more people can find us and also benefit. You can also subscribe to our podcast while you're there, and don't forget you can also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. We look forward to having you join us next time, so that together. We We can can keep keep getting getting money money right. right. So long, folks. It's typically two to four times more expensive to eat out or have anything that's pre-prepared for you. Uh, Now, if you go out to a restaurant, it can be upwards of 10 times as expensive.